Uh, go ahead and we'll, we'll pray together, but we're going to be in Psalm 2. It doesn't say it up there. Oh, there's a picture of it right there. Anyways, let's pray together. Uh, you guys can turn there and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much again that we get to gather today uh, freely to worship you and, uh, and honor you. Lord, I pray that as your word is proclaimed, that these words would not be mine, but they would be yours. And that we as a church would see your glory and be transformed by it. God, we just praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. And that you have awakened us to see your word. And I pray that those who aren't, Lord, that you would open their hearts and their eyes to see you and who you are as a good Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I'm sure all of you have experienced a child throwing a tantrum, right? Uh, either as a parent or an observer or even as a child. Um, the funny thing about these tantrums is they could be over in a matter of seconds, right? I mean, you have a five or six foot adult being berated by about a two and a half, maybe three foot child. Uh, obviously, this is no contest, right? Um, no parent has ever thought of destroying their child, but I'm just saying it could happen, right, in a second. And so, I'm not saying that you should, I'm just saying the idea, right, concept, right, um, that is kind of this idea, it kind of gives us a glimpse into Psalm 2, right? So as we read this together, uh, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, but all who take refuge in him. Oh, sorry, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Uh, the author of Psalm 1 and 2, uh, which we talked about Psalm 1 last week, uh, is King David. Uh, we know this by Acts 4.27 giving him credit for this, uh, this psalm. And Psalm 1 and 2 were actually written as one psalm. Uh, when when the, the humans, us humans, decided to put chapter and verse markers in the Bible, uh, we are not divine and we are not uh, perfect, right? And so these were just placed there so we could find verses like an address. So that way I could stand up here and say, turn to Psalms 4, you know, 3, or whatever the case may be. Um, but we can see that these are put together uh, by a term called inclusio. 
Now, basically, what this term is is it's a it's used to describe basically bookends, bookends or parentheses in a passage. So the first phrase in Psalm one is, "Blessed is the man," right? And we talked about that last week. And the last sentence in Psalm 2 is starting, blessed are all. So this indicates to us that these two passages are connected, kind of like these bookends, like I said, a parenthesis. Now, it's important that we understand this because it's driving home the point that all who disregard God and his teachings will be destroyed or smashed like clay pots. Uh, Psalm 1 is kind of taking this microscope view of an individual person. And we see that each individual person has a personal responsibility of the path they take. They have a hope or a way out of the path of the wrath of God. Now, Psalm 2, we kind of get this broader look of the whole world and in its entirety. Um, and how the nations react to God in His teaching. It's important to note here that there is no hope laid out for the nations as a whole. Coming back to God, there is no path of repentance laid out for them in Psalm 2, as I said, as a whole. right? So as a side note here, in light of that, there is a, there's only one category for a Christian nation in the Bible. Uh, and that category is at the end of the age when the Lord collects His people from every tribe and nation. So another observation that needs to be made here is when reading Psalm 1, it's read like a proverb or a word of wisdom. And Psalm 2 is read like a prophecy. And these two are placed intentionally at the beginning of, of Psalms, which is a Hebrew hymnal, uh, to show us that by the wisdom of God and prophecy, which is the pro- proclamation of the word, that will show us the glory of God and will lead us to worship. So it's intended to drive us to the worship of God. So Psalm 2, again, being written by David, is uh, two things. First, it's David recounting God putting him in place of king and anointing him as his king over Israel. And it's also foretelling, whether David knew it or not, of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We can see this by the New Testament authors acknowledging that in Acts 13.33, Hebrews 1.5, which we read this morning, and also Hebrews 5.5. 5. So, it was something that had already occurred in King David and did not occur fully to its fullest measure in the Lord Jesus. Much like today, we are already in the kingdom of God as, as those who are in Christ, but not already fully realized as, as we are awaiting the, the return of the Lord Jesus. So as we start to take a deeper look into Psalm 1, I heard uh, Steve Lawson, who's a Baptist preacher, refer to Psalm 2 as a looking glass in which we can see the whole world through. Verses 1 through 3 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. The question that is first posed in the first verse is really the thesis statement for the entire psalm. And, uh, sorry. As both the author and us will reflect on 
nations of the present and the past. So we can think of, uh, say, Egypt in the time of the Exodus, or the Canaanites as the Lord's pronouncing judgment on them as the Israelites are coming to conquer them. Also, the Israelites, as they turn their back on God and are conquered by the Babylonians, also, the Babylonians, as they never return or never repent from their sin and see Yahweh as the king. And the best and most clear evidence of this is the nations and the peoples raging are both the Gentiles, uh, the Romans, and the Jewish leaders unite to crucify Christ. Or even in more recent times in history, we can look to World War I as Germany is trying to expand their borders or again World War II with the Third Reich. Uh, We can also see this in the communist regime or even the new moral revolution or even you can see it in Afghanistan right now currently. Uh, No nation on the face of this earth can seem to agree on politics, on economics, or even how to handle the global warming issue. But they can all agree that they hate the Lord, his anointed one, and his commands. They don't want anyone to tell them how to live or how they can, who they can marry or what gender they can be or what God they can worship and how to worship that God. They don't want to be told that they can't look at pornography, that they can't have an affair on their wife or use recreational drugs or, or get drunk. Um, they feel that the law binds them and constrains them. Um, and it ties them up and it just takes away their freedom and their joy. But it's clear that the, but God's law is clear on these issues. And they just don't like it. They feel it's too constraining. They feel it binds them down. And again, takes away their joy and freedom. And don't think that this is just outside the church. It's also in the church and within us. We all have past sins or pet sins, you know, either in the past or currently that we're struggling through. That when the Bible calls them out that we turn a blind eye to, we say, yeah, but, you know, grace covers that and I don't really need to struggle through that sin. Um, You know, we fight or we even fight about pointless things such as the color of the carpet. You know, we've all heard of the church split over color of carpet or, or you know, the the brand of the lawnmower or even the the Bible interpretation that we use. Um, We are all, as humans so blinded by our sin that we can't even see the sun. We've put our thoughts and feelings above God's and no longer acknowledge Him as who He is, which is the Creator of heaven and earth. To quote Steve Lawson again, our sin makes us stupid. God, however, does not worry about this. All of the planning, all of our planning, is vain and just straight craziness. He looks over all the earth and laughs, and not as if it's funny, but as to say, you know, he's mocking us. Like, are you you're serious? You're trying to do that again? Like, you know what my word says, and you are disregarding it. Um, because our God is, is over everything, and he's ruler of everything. Verse 4 to 6 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord does not take 
this defiance of his law light. It angers him, and God will not be toyed with. Our culture here in the West seems to use God for their own benefit. They seem to think that he is some kind of grandfather in the sky who just always gives them things without asking anything in return. But, church, this is not the God of the Bible. He is holy and righteous. His commands are good and generous and kind. The peoples of this world see the Lord's commands as harsh and confining, but those who are in Christ and have Yahweh as their king find them to be a joy. Sinclair Ferguson says in his book, The Whole whole Christ, and this is a paraphrase, the world feels the law of God and it condemns them for their sins. But those who are in Christ see the law as a teacher, showing us how not to sin or offend the God who loves us and has redeemed us. The next thing that is interesting here is to see that the kings of this world set themselves. We see that in verse 2. But God sets his king. Right? So we see that in verse 6. It says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion. Showing us that he has ultimate rule and authority over all the earth. We see men and women all across the globe set themselves in the place of authority. And we even as communities seem to vote them and place them there. Whether we win or not, they still get placed. But these are not the Lord's anointed. Only Christ is the Lord's anointed. They are not the ultimate ruler of this world. He proclaims this to the world in his wrath, which literally means with flared nostrils. So we see him going from laughing laughing and mockery, as if to say, you think you can overthrow me, turning into God having the last laugh, as he shows his wrath to his enemies and looks to destroy them. We'll see this one last time at the end of the age for sure, but I think we even see this throughout history uh, in regards to empires rising and collapsing. We can think of Babel and the tower they built there. Or again, Egypt in the time of the Exodus and the Lord crumbles the kingdom. Or Babylon as it rises up again and then falls. Or Rome or the Roman Catholic Church of the Dark Ages. Or France or Germany. The list just goes on. And all these people, basically all these empires conquered many peoples along the way, taking years to build, but when God was done with them and they had fulfilled his purpose, they were gone in a matter of days. The Lord and his anointed have sovereign power over all the nations and over all people. Then we see what I believe is the prophecy of the Lord Jesus in verse seven nine I'm sorry, seven through nine, saying I will tell of the decree of the Lord, says, uh, I will, sorry, I'm sorry. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me. You are my son, and I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. God the Father made his proclamation publicly of the Lord Jesus 
a couple of times throughout his life. And the whole reason why Jesus came to the earth was to start his establishment of his kingdom here on the earth. And he's still doing this today through the proclamation and the spread of his gospel. He will not come back until every one of his people is in his kingdom. Revelation 7, 9 says that at, at the throne there will be people from every nation, tribe, and people group. And they will stand before God. So, the words of work to be done still. Before the Lord, sorry, before the Lord finally returns. To establish his reign here on earth. And I know Pastor Tony is going to go through this and unpack revelations for us and have all the answers for us on our Sunday night series coming soon. So that'll be, that'll be exciting. So I bring this up though, because the Lord is coming back and he will reign over the earth. Uh, and there, and there are people from every people group and, and nation that are the Lord's. And at the uh, end of the age, part of that reign is him going and destroying all the nations and their office of ruler as he imposes his rule over all the earth. In ancient history, it was part of the custom that after a ruler would conquer a people group, he would write their name on a clay pot and set it on the ground and take his staff and smash it to pieces. Um, so we have that same picture here. That as... Um, the kingdom of the Lord will most certainly destroy all of it who opposes it uh, past the point of recognizing it. And the old earth in its fallen state will not will be smashed to the point that it will never be able to be put back together again. And to that we can say, thank you, Lord Jesus. And finally, the last three verses, we see the Lord extend his hand to reach personal, sorry, to reach persons individually. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For the Lord's wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We see the tone of the psalmist shift here. He goes from speaking of the Lord's wrath to pleading with the kings and the rulers. We see him say, Oh, kings, oh, rulers, as if to say, Please listen. Longing, and you can hear the longing in his voice. He wants them to see this warning and wisely turn to the Lord Jesus. He wants them to see God and all his power and his glory. He wants them to submit their desires and their emotions. He wants them to submit their thoughts and their spirits. He wants them to submit their entire life to the authority of the good King Jesus. He wants them to be free from the condemnation of the law and let their lives be taught by the law, showing them how to no longer sin against God, but rather take refuge in Him. The last, the last phrase here, blessed are all who take right, refuge in Him, shows us the grace of God. It gives the allowance to fail in obeying his law because we have taken refuge in Christ. Notice it doesn't say blessed are those who obey his commands, but rather who take refuge in him. 
As one who is in, is in Christ, we are to submit and conform our life to God and his holy word. But this is to happen in the confines of his refuge. The Christian is to struggle with sin, battling it every day and night of his life or her life until we enter our rest at the end of the age. It is important here, it's important to remember here that the law was given to the Israelites after the Lord had redeemed them. The Lord didn't say, Hey, you know, I'll rescue, from, I'll rescue you from Egypt once you obey all these commands. But rather, he brought them out of Egypt. He saved them and then gave them the law to teach them how to love him more. So in conclusion, in Psalm 2, we see that the Lord is coming in wrath and judgment and all sin will rightly be judged for the Christian and the non-Christian. But those who are in Christ, their punishment was dealt, already dealt with and absorbed at the cross, and it no longer looms over them. For those who refuse this warning and say to themselves, I can get there a different way, or I can earn the right to be in heaven, the Lord says here, there is no other way. He is telling you right now that you must trust in Him. That you must take refuge in Him and give your entire life over to Him and submit your will to Him. This will take your entire life in submitting and conforming your life to Christ. But in the, while you're working that out, working your faith out with fear and trembling, take refuge in the Lord. For His words are good and kind. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and that it does work on our soul. Lord, I just pray that this was a faithful proclamation of your psalm. God, I pray that uh, you would open our hearts and eyes to see what you would have us to see and hear what you would have us to hear. We just praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 